Evening, Dan. Shall we do the uh, a quick chit chat as people join? Is that what you think it is? You think it's just chit chat? I mean, I'm I'm really in, actually interested in how your week's been. <laughs> That's very good of you. Uh, yeah, it has been good. It's been a nice easing back into the new year, which has been been good. There's been plenty of uh, good football to enjoy, and uh, and yeah, so far so good. How's uh, how's your week been? Well, Transfer window keeping you busy yet? Yeah, it's not been too bad. A little bit quiet, but yeah, there's there's, there's plenty of stuff on the go. Just seeing whether it will all all, all translate in. So. I have a question for you. Apart from, um, obviously, um, all the AFCON stuff that's on, I was really intrigued. I don't know whether this is something, obviously, that the FA can think about doing, and I'm just going um, off the cuff now, was, um, you know, I tuned in on Sunday to watch our um, our team, Liverpool, um, play, thinking the game might have been on because there were quite a lot of two o'clock kickoffs, and thinking whether there might have even been a sort of red button choice, as there was, I think, on the, the Saturday, was there, I think, possibly? Um, in the late kickoff, there were a few possibilities yeah. of watching, and I just thought it was a bit of a shame that you know there were quite a few good games fixtured on, but that that you know effectively the BBC or ITV didn't have the rights to be able to at least broadcast, you know, and whether actually there was you know still the same type of point, which is well we can't broadcast too many games either because it will impact on attendances or um, you know we, we're not paying more for more live games or it wasn't part of the tender process. But it just got me thinking about. You know, obviously, the FA Cup um, is very different in a lot of ways to Premier League and Championship and all the rest of it. And we're going to talk about some of the ideas that you had on the FA Cup. But just whether and why, you you know, the technology is there to be able to put on all the games. Why not be able to show them all? Yeah, I mean, in the first instance, I thought it was bizarre that West Ham Leeds was the was the chosen game. I, um, you know, we, we, I somewhat familiar with, with the audiences that um, clubs bring in um, for, for television and... West Ham and Leeds, obviously, certainly two very big clubs, but the fact that Liverpool were on, um, even Spurs with Morecambe, I, I thought they were nailed on to be the, the televised games, and um, and they weren't. And then, yeah, it is a big question as to whether um, you know the, the extent to which showing these games on TV have have detrimental impact on audiences if you're showing all the games um, at once. And I think um, we, I think we might have even discussed the the three pm blackout before on um, on our chats, but. Um, yeah, I, I think there is potentially a place for it. Certainly, when there's a kind of small number of games on it at a particular time. Um, but yeah, it was a real, it was a, it was a real shame because I, I, um, I think West Ham and Leeds is on TV on the, in the Premier League this week or next week, which, which I thought was bizarre. Obviously, Man United. I think Man United on some staggering run, if not, it got halted a little while ago of consecutive FA Cup television appearances, which just shows you know, the audience that, that they bring in. But yeah, it's it's, um, it's a curious beast. I think picking um, picking televised games in the UK. Which which leads as a uh, a nice segue onto um, something that I I read of yours probably a couple of weeks ago now I think um, on on LinkedIn and you know we, we talk quite a lot about talk quite a lot about really enjoying reading your blue sky thinking on a lot of different topics inside and outside of football more generally and just um, looking beyond the traditional and um, yeah your your piece got me thinking about you know what we talk about sometimes in terms of you know, regeneration of competition, of thinking outside the box, of thinking of new ways to not necessarily engage new audiences, but to keep things, um, maybe fresh is the wrong word, but to pe- keep people engaged in um, the various ways that people might be and, and that engagement might have changed. And so, yeah, it'd just be great to get your, your tuppence on some of the thoughts that you had around, you know, I'm conscious that you know, lots of people have said the beauty of the FA Cup and the glory of it's been brilliantly done over the last, you know, few days and there's been some great games. But, you know, is it is it time for a little bit more root and branch reform? 
Yeah, so I'll give a stream of consciousness and obviously just kind of dive in when um, you've got anything to challenge or or, or, or question. Um, I, I think, yeah, I was, I was reflecting, as you do, over the Christmas period on, on the FA Cup and what purpose it serves in the modern game. And actually, this is more than just the FA Cup. This is, you know, we've worked with a lot of leagues now uh, in a lot of countries and they all talk about the Cup being a massive issue in the sense that no one really takes it seriously anymore. There's, you know, all the money's in the league. Um, you know, it's teams field weekend 11s um, and it's just kind of, it feels disrespected in some ways. And I think the FA Cup's got that sense as well. Um, for, for what it's worth, I think the early rounds of the FA Cup are still really excellent. Um, there's a good piece by Michael Cox today on on the third round uh, of the FA Cup. And I, I, I think it produces upsets. You know, there's some great stories about the types of players competing from lower league clubs. I think it's a genuinely um, interesting um products for want of a better word you know is, is something i do really enjoy each year the, the third round of the fa cup um I, I think one of the big issues i have with it is that it's not the, the third round fourth round are great they provide some great stories but it, it seems to have lost its kind of prestige as um a means to win something um and one of the things i remember someone, a lot of people have suggested in the past is oh you should offer a champions league place for the fa cup that will mean teams take it seriously and i, I think that's the exact opposite of what you want to do because if you award a champions league place an fa cup winner the fa cup becomes a means in order to achieve something else rather than you know something valuable in itself um and for me like winning silverware in football is everything like, that's the whole point of competing in football is to win silverware so if you're winning silverware if only to achieve a kind of some other financial prize it doesn't strike me as a obvious solution for it um and on that point um there's a stat which i really love which well, i love in kind of the fact that it's an interesting stat not that it's good for football in this uh, is that in 60s 19 different english clubs won a major trophy uh, but in the last decade just completed the 2010s it was just nine so you've suddenly got in the last 10 years or over over the period of 50 years or so a massive concentration of teams winning the trophies. You know, 19 clubs in the 60s won trophies. You know, that's, um, you know, if you think about the pyramid today, that's almost a quarter of the the um, professional clubs or clubs in the EFL and Premier League that would have won a trophy. Uh, but only nine, uh, so only you know, 10% or so, slightly less, slightly more than 10% or so, um, winning trophies. And I, I think that's really sad. Um, and... And the other thing is that the clubs that are winning the trophies, um, you know, Man City, Chelsea, um, Arsenal have done well in the Cups in, in recent years. It doesn't feel like that big a deal. It feels like, you know, almost like a bit of a, a footnote in their seasons um, or kind of nice to have. And I, the more I thought about it, the more you need to kind of reinvent um, the way or in many ways actually go back to the root of, of um, what the FA Cup's all about. It was the oldest cup competition. It was actually created before league competition as, as a means to essentially pit all members that were as part of the football association against one another um, and leagues came about because leagues need um the clubs were complaining that they didn't have sustainable income because they were playing all these random ad hoc games they got knocked out obviously they didn't have, didn't have matches and they lost income so leagues were a, a means to create economic security for clubs and um so leagues will always be about finances in many ways as the root of uh, of league design but cups are about they were there to kind of invite competition between clubs. It was I think it was originally called the Challenge Cup, um, and so I wonder if the the FA Cup could go back to those roots in some ways and, and think about what it could do to be more about the glory of winning and the the joy it gives um, to those fans. And one of the ideas I was thinking about is well, why don't you take away prize money? Because the big issue is that there's never going to be enough prize money to incentivize. 
a club to prioritize it and put out a full strength team, a Premier League club um, to do that. There's just not enough money for the winners. I think it's uh, high hundred thousands, maybe a million for, for the winners, which is, is peanuts compared to what they get in, in the Premier League. So if you took away that prize, I don't think clubs would particularly care, but you could op- offer them the option to opt out um, of the cup. So if you, if you go, okay, well, there's no prize money on offer and you can opt out if you want. Now, in reality, I don't think any clubs would actually opt out of the FA Cup because it would be seen as kind of a, a small club thing to do. There'd be a lot of fan pressure that you'd be opting out of an opportunity to win silverware. But I think what that enables you to do is take that prize money and redistribute it amongst lower league football. So instead of clubs having these spiky incomes, so you look at Kidderminster, so you're going to have a massive bump in their, uh, in their revenue, um, which is unpredictable. You can't really budget for it. It's kind of nice money to have. You can't really do much with it because you can't budget for it year on year. Um, spread that out much more across the, the lower leagues and so maybe from League One downwards, if not lower than that. Um, and, and make it all about you know, the glory of winning the club. You're competing in it, not for money, not for Champions League or Europa League or anything like that. You're doing it in order to win a trophy because winning a trophy is actually you know something that's worthy and worthwhile. And look, if a club decides, look, this year we're super focused on promotion. You know, if you're Fulham, you know we don't want we're playing already playing 42 games. We don't want a distraction in the cup. Fine, you know, leave it out. But if you don't achieve promotion, then you're going to get going to get a lot of fan pressure um, as a result of, of pulling out the cup. Um, so I, I think it's just about potentially shifting the narrative uh, around the cup and its purpose and its kind of centrality around joy and winning. Uh, I think you could do things around as well, um, you know, clubs that are managed well or, or are great in the community, give a lot back to the community. I think you give them things like preferential cup ties so they get to choose, you know, maybe a, a club, let's say, let's take Kidderminster as an example. Maybe they, they you say, you know, you've been the best work, uh, best run club in um, in the National League in the last couple of years. Um, you know, you get pick of your cup tie. Maybe they go, yeah, we'll have Man United away and get the payday. Uh, of matchday revenue, or they'll go, actually, we think we have a good chance of, of reaching the later stage, we'll take Boreham Wood at home. And I quite like the narratives that might might come out of that. And it's also, again, promoting and rewarding clubs that, that are well run and sustainably run and doing something, you know, giving back to the community. So, yeah, it's a long wind where of saying, well, I think the FA Cup's kind of got a lot of great things about it in the early rounds, but I, it, it pained that they've got the same teams winning each year. Um, that There just seems to be that sense of glory that's gone from it because it's all about you don't get that much prize money. We're always talking about the money, about you know progressing to the next round. And I, I think there's there's something in there around making it about fans, and making it purely about the, the glory of winning. Oh, well, I just have one idea. It literally just came into my head um, based on one of the things you were talking about around um, some type of preferential coefficient for to either well run or with some type of objective um, measure about whether you could even do something like um, an FA Cup draft where you have some, I mean, maybe we're getting a bit too Americanized here, but you do something really cool where you have those clubs that can literally pick the top teams to play away at home or something. And then you get you get everyone into the middle where effectively you have, you know, yeah, Kidderman's, Kidderman's to play against United and, you know, Macclesfield or whatever is playing against Liverpool. Um, and then, you know, you, you effectively do away, which obviously quite controversial with the, the different draws, but make it a little bit more uh, interesting in terms of, incentivizing different types of behaviors i.e governance behaviors even though it sounds really boring yeah no I, I really like that and i think um the great thing that we have in england at least for the time being is we've got two cups so you know the league cup uh, i think there's plenty of room for experiment in in that competition where you could do something like that which isn't really going to annoy anyone because there isn't that same kind of level of tradition around the league cup um uh, and you can experiment with it and I, I think it's a shame that that's not been done in the cup. um you know it's been treated as a fairly kind of linear competition 
a linear cup competition there's not really been any adventure around it and i think why not i mean i don't really see see the downside and i think that the the concept of proactively rewarding teams that are doing well is um is a, is a good one um and it's not done enough because it's, it's, again we always talk about in the context of more money and i think there is a fatigue around the, the way that money is distributed in football so why not celebrate more stories around being well run having the opportunity to play the types of games that you want to play um that you may not otherwise if if you're not as well run so i, th- I think there's there's something in it um if not for the fa cup then certainly for other cup competitions um around europe i mean we um, we've recently um, been concluding some work we've been doing with the with the Belgian Pro League, and um, the the cup is you know we spoke about at length with with clubs, and and they all said the same thing. I mean, we, I could have been speaking to English clubs in many ways around the the way that they spoke about the cup and the and the level of priority that they gave it, and I think you know it's it's a it's a consequence of the way that that league football has grown and, and squeezed out the club the cups, and and therefore I think FAs who normally run the cups um, need to probably think about it a little bit more innovatively. So if we turn from FA Cup to um, the other headline that we can't really um, um, ignore, which is obviously ongoing um, COVID pandemic, footballers' health and contracts, as you mentioned. And in the preparation for, for this, we were going to actually briefly touch upon Christine Eriksen for slightly different health reasons, not necessarily COVID, obviously. Um, but... You know, we were. I was reading. I was reading an article in the Economist this week, which obviously referenced at the same time some data that you had provided to them for their own um, study and analysis as to the post-COVID effects that the virus has had on elite footballers. It'd be great if you could just download those um, uh, impacts and sort of try to, um, I, I guess, articulate um, the issues that footballers coming back from. Um, infection have, have suffered yeah it was really interesting actually there's um there was a study that was done recently um from i think it was a german university in the university of reading looking at the impact of, of covid on football performance and a lot of obviously discussion around covid in, in football is, is focused you know f- fair enough on the disruption it's caused to scheduling and um, match being postponed and, and obviously the lockdown right at the start of it um, but i don't think there's been that much that's been discussed on the impact that it has on on players you know obviously a huge chunk of players have fallen ill, Ill. i think a higher proportion of uh, of players um have caught covid than, than the general population perhaps due to kind of higher testing levels um but, but certainly obviously you know football has been affected by it uh, and the study that was done um found that players were um as they were returning from from covid um were playing fewer minutes um, but also when they were playing they're actually performing worse um, making fewer your passes as an example uh, and so we did a kind of re- replicate that study with the economists we've got a um a player performance score for, for an individual game which takes in various on-field actions and kind of um, computes a score for how well that player played in that game um and uh, working with them we, we found that in the 10 weeks after uh, an infection for a player there was an average drop of about 0.14 standard deviations which is essentially the equivalent in this sample of, of a player dropping from the median player in the league to the 30th percentile player in the league. So, you know, think about a mid-table player essentially playing at a relegation level instead. Uh, and that effect lasted for, for about 10 weeks. Um, so, you know, players obviously kind of performance severely disrupted by um, by catching COVID. And it's super interesting. I mean, it's interesting from the context of, I think it shows just the, the standard of elite football. If you're anywhere near, you know, not 100% or, or, you know, struggling in some way, then you, you're really going to notice that drop in performance. 
Um, but but also points to the fact that you know long COVID is a thing. You know, it'll linger amongst healthy young, uh, you know, very healthy young athletes. Um, and I thought it was a really interesting um, trend that was identified there. And, and it's probably something that that clubs are aware of to a degree. But nice to have some of the numbers around the impact that that COVID has on performance. I was going to ask just one more thing, Omar, on that, which was it just sprung to my mind as well. Because if you remember, we were talking a while back in the middle of COVID around. Um, the impact of crowds or lack of crowds and home and away performance um, or performances and results as, as a result of there being no crowd in stadium. Was there any um, uh, standard deviation or um, take um, uh, particular criteria or focus factor taken into account, bearing in mind uh, crowd or lack of crowd and whether then that would incentivize or pressurize or depressurize players for particular things like distances run or passes completed or minutes on the pitch or whatever else it might be, you know, w- w- literally just by the by, really. Yeah, no, it was, it was controlling for that. So it was, it was um, you know, trying to, it, the, the score is relative to other players on the pitch. So mm-hmm. if, if all the players are, are falling, then that would kind of be, be accounted for. But certainly, you know, home advantage was a massive thing or lack of home advantage was a massive thing during uh, empty stadiums and uh, there were there were differences in um, in play performance off the top of my head I, I can't quite remember um, what some of the key ones were obviously there was differences in the ratio of home and away fouls and yellow cards but there, I seem to remember there being differences in things like pass rates and, and shots as well so yeah it's um, it certainly had um, had an effect um, I, I wanted to ask you on, on the kind of topic of um, player health um, I must admit I was, I was really kind of pleased and and uh, to see Christian Eriksen um, giving an interview, obviously he was in Danish, but but just kind of seeing him well and uh, and talking was was really nice the other day. Um, and obviously seeing the news that he's leaving Italian football because in Italian football um, you're not allowed to play, as I understand it, with with a heart condition, play professional sport with a heart condition. Uh, so he's looking obviously to return to I think in Denmark in the first instance, and then potentially get back into the Danish national team. But we were chatting beforehand and I think one of the interesting things to consider is obviously something that a club will need to consider if they wanted to bring on Ericsson, you know, clearly, you know, an unbelievable player, how they might think about structuring a contract to bring him in because there's all kinds of considerations to be had there. So I'd be interested to know how, how you would advise a club on that. Yeah, it was it was a great one. Um, we, you know, we were talking about a few different areas, you know, f- from a... Um, from a regulatory and employment perspective, it just felt like a bit of a minefield, didn't it really? So, you know, I was just trying to take into account, you know, if Ericsson was to, to move to a Premier League club, the, the types of things that you'd bear in mind. I mean, the first I think probably is, is that, um, you know, still a world-class player, um, but probably not in the, the best bargaining position to a degree, I'd have thought. Um, but at the same time, things like, um, insurance, which obviously usually is in relation to career-ending insurance um, for that a player might take, and then that a club may take out to safeguard future transfer value in case of a career-ending um, um, injury um, or health condition, etc. So, yeah, I wonder whether actually um, there are enough insurers that might actually insure against um, that or those potential risks or the risks of something, a cardiac event happening again, which hopefully would, would never occur or wouldn't occur. And and after that, you know, I was also thinking about, you know, exactly as you said, how things would be structured. You, you know, you, you'd have thought um, it, it might even be even more disproportionately performance related, where actually you have, obviously, depending on his health and his ability to be able to, 
you know, aerobically be able to play for 90 minutes or however long it might be and actually significantly, con- um, um, uh, uh, I, I guess, um, contributes to the team, that um, you might actually have extremely low base level salaries with extremely high performance, win, appearance, contribution um, levels, so that actually it might be a very low base with a very high um, performance uplift. But again, you know, it just, it, it brings to, it brings to focus all of those disparate ideas that we think in terms of, you know, Ericsson's condition is such an outlier, obviously, thank goodness, it happens, has happened only extremely rarely, and that you don't usually see situations where players can't play in certain leagues or have to, unfortunately, prematurely retire because of an under- underlying health condition. So, obviously, things like we were talking about the medical that would have to take place, um, you know, he's, a, he's on a free transfer, so there's no transfer agreement per se. Uh, but ultimately, you know, that would probably want to be one of the most significant medicals you could you could have when you have issues to do with heart conditions in obviously an aerobically taxing um, career environment. So, yeah, you know, insurance, uh, medicals, transfers, employment contracts, how that would be incentivized or otherwise, and the length of the of any potential deal, and obviously a lot of it, I would presume, as you said, is to do with um, you know qualification for for World Cup and playing. Um, in in November in um, in Qatar potentially, um, but I think the most important thing is we're all just delighted that um, he's back potentially playing football because in his prime, obviously, especially pre um, pre uh, what obviously happened on the pitch, which was just totally horrendous. You know, he was one of the the best players in the Premier League for for Spurs for a number of years and did pretty well at Inter as well. Yeah, I think um, I was trying to find numbers on it I may not find it in, in the space of this time but I think we rated him in um, in the top 10 players in the world at one point uh, um, probably at kind of peak Pochettino around 2017-2018 um, with Spurs he was just kind of phenomenal and obviously when, when you go through what he's been through I, I don't think anyone really knows how, how he'd perform um, back pitch but I'm sure he'd be in a position where he's wanting to kind of prove himself um, to be honest I, I would have yeah, how how a club would kind of evaluate him at, at this stage. I think a big part of it would obviously be his personality and character around the changing room, which which might be a, a one of those soft and tangible things that you might want to bring into the club. Um, on on insurance, I mean, I don't know how close you work on, on some of this, Dan, but on insurance, you know, do, do clubs have blanket policies across all their squads? They go more on individual player by player basis. Do you know? Do you have a sense on how that works? Um, I've you know you. You have conversations with people in industry um, that that will insure against particular um, events, really. And you know, I think you have to go back quite a while. The people like was it? Um, I'm trying to remember the the Italian forward was it? Um, it was playing for Chelsea back in the late '90s that retired because of a cruciate injury. I think I'm trying to remember his name. And Chelsea obviously took out insurance, career-ending insurance, to against the trans- his transfer value. Um, and and I think what is more likely to happen um, is uh, instances where, you know, someone signs for significant money um, and then obviously there's some type of career ending event. You know, the truth is, is that at the top level now that, you know, I, you don't see a huge number of career ending events because of obviously potentially, I guess, the medical advancements that are taking place to a degree. So it's less likely to be injury and tackles and more likely to be, you know, real significant underlying health condition effectively um, which causes those um, 
uh, causes those issues. But again, there's, there's different levels and different types of insurance. You have that club insurance insuring against transfer loss. But a lot of the time, because it differs in different countries, your players are particularly insuring against their, their be, be, being injured um, uh, in order to make sure that you know the insurance covers at least a significant part of their existing contract. Because in some countries, Germany, for example, um, you know contracts at the full value um, if an injury is um, is then had, which takes a player out for six, nine, twelve months, only cover a much smaller. Um, the, the sort of the contract actually reduces quite significantly. So, um, again, it was sort of um, uh, understood that some of the top players in Germany would insure quite significantly in order to top up would otherwise be a smaller percentage of what their headline wage would be. Whereas in the Premier League, for example, um, it's less of an issue. Uh, but again, you still might want to insure um, against the risk of anything significantly going wrong Um and, and again, what you can also have in other countries, you can't necessarily do it in certain instances in the UK, is insure against particular events like you know being relegated um, or not qualifying for Champions League. So there's quite a lot of risk mitigation if it's on a club, player or performance side to a degree. And um, you know ultimately, these types of risk factors, if it's performance or if it's health, um, significantly impact on you know a club's bottom line. Yeah, we could get into um, the, the kind of performance-related um insurance at another time because so i think it's a really interesting area that i know more and more clubs have um have kind of gotten involved with over time but uh we've spent through the half hour first one of the year um and yeah we'll um i'm sure we'll catch up again in in another week or two Dan. thanks everyone for listening in and uh yeah looking forward to next time nice one cheers Dan. cheers thanks for listening you can follow me on twitter tiktok and instagram at football law read my blogs and listen to my previous podcasts via my website danielg.com forward slash blogs please do subscribe to the Dundeal football podcast like share and tag me if you like the content if not my voice you'll probably also like my book Dundeal an insider's guide to football contracts multi-million pound transfers and premier league big business a bit of a mouthful it's available to buy in hard copy digitally and via audible all links are in the podcast show notes Lastly, the podcast is powered by 13, which is a fashion brand I've started. All proceeds go towards cancer charity research, and particularly the stellar work done by John Krell, who has helped my mum through some difficult times over the last few years. You can take a look at the merch, and hopefully buy a t-shirt, hoodie, cap, or all three. Please do spread the word, and go to 13shop.co.uk. That's 13shop.co.uk dot co dot uk thanks for listening